Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats. And boy, if you can see me right now, you may be seeing something right now. If you're uh, watching the video version soon, you will be seeing me talk to the great Tommy Sammons of the Libertarian Institute and the Year Zero podcast. But you could have seen that entire interview, warts and all, because there were quite a few technical difficulties, which uh, some of which may be scrubbed out of, of that final version. And of course, you won't hear in this version, thanks to my wonderful audio editing abilities. But you could have seen it line if, if only you were a supporter of Lions of Liberty, either on Patreon at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty or for the Patreon adverse locals, Lions of Liberty Check them all out. Check them both out. Check everything out. Send money. That, that's what we're saying. But uh, yeah, our patrons get all sorts of bonus content, including, of course, live versions of all of my interviews uh, and many, many of the other shows we do here on Lions of Liberty. That being said, let's get to a great conversation with my man. Tommy Salmon. With me live today is the house redneck himself over at the Libertarian Institute. He is the host of the Year Zero podcast, which you really, really, really ought to be listening to. Please welcome Tommy Salmon. Tommy, are you ready to roar? I am ready. I had a feeling. I had quite a feeling you would be, Tommy. Um, and you know, there, I've, I have some things I might want to talk to you about, but since it's your first time on Lines of Liberty proper here, why don't we just start with a little Tommy Salmon's origin story? So how did you, I mean, you could even go into kind of where you grew up in your background, but um, get us to eventually how you got involved in all this crazy libertarian stuff. Well, I think my background probably has a lot, lot to do with it. We grew up really poor and uh, my mom was working, I don't know, 60 hours a week. My dad worked three full-time jobs, um, two construction jobs plus uh, retail and, um, and I just watched my parents work and work and work. My mom didn't even have a, a high school diploma. And um, after 30 years in workman's comp, she's making over $100,000 a year. And uh, I was like, okay, so like you don't, the education system isn't like everything. So I, you start looking at what personal responsibility actually means and what it does for you. And when you, you, you start looking for ideologies that lead you that way, and uh, I first ran into like Glenn Beck and he, he would call himself a libertarian at, uh, out of, you know, one, one time. And then the next moment he's insulting Ron Paul. And I didn't know a lot about politics at that time. So I was just kind of like, okay, like screw this Ron Paul guy. And then uh, a few years later, I had, uh, I ran into judge Napolitano giving a speech at the Mises Institute where he said he might be a, he, he might be an anarchist. And I was like, wait a second. Like, I, cause I had always liked Judge Napolitano. So I was like, all right. So I started really like digging in. And um, I was still kind of flirting with the idea. And I was supporting Ted Cruz um, against Donald Trump. And uh, Austin Peterson called me and I have, had a conversation with him. And he told me to check out the Tom Woods show. And then it was just, downhill from there or uphill depending on depending on your yeah. it might be downhill it, it was a slippery slope that's it's, what it's i'm a trying slope to either say either way we, that, that, we, that we certainly know right. uh so so yeah you're you're relatively a relative youngin i guess in, in this this whole world uh what was it about the tom wood show why do you think that was the 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 approach that really worked on you the best to bring you over was it because you were already sort of in that sort of conservative world and you know tom comes from that too so i think he's he's pretty good at talking to conservatives yeah that it could have been that i i don't 
I don't know because I, I started listening to Tom Woods and uh, I quickly found out, I think one of the first episodes I ever heard of his, he had Bob Murphy on. So I found out about uh, Contra Krugman, you know, and I started listening to that. And, and so it was, it was just, and I'm driving over the road. I don't have a whole lot to do. So I'm pumping in 11 hours worth of material into my head every day, constantly. That's all I'm t- intaking at this point. So it was, yeah, I'm fairly new, but it was really fast as well because of the amount of material I was taking on at a time. I would hear somebody mention something and I would immediately go find it and I would listen to it. You know, um, I spent a lot of time at, at Mises.org listening to audiobooks that were free up there. So there was a lot of information just coming in all at once. I give Tom Woods the credit, but I can't. I really think it was Judge Napolitano's speech that really pushed me over the edge. And it was just finding all the information after that. Especially for someone like Judge Napolitano to to use the term anarchist and you look at him and it's this the last person you would ever think w- would be associated right. with what you at least perceive that word to be prior to that. Well, yeah. And to be fair, he didn't actually say he was an anarchist. Somebody in the crowd said you sound like an anarchist. And he said, well, you don't hear me denying it. Right. Well, close enough. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was, it was one of those situations where I was like, huh, this really got, just got me interested and curious about what was going on. I'm kind of curious to, I I, I was going to maybe bring this, this up later, but it might really fit in right here. I'm kind of curious a little bit and maybe we'll see where they intersect because this is a subject that that you've talked about a lot more than I talked about with you when I was on your show, uh, I think late last year. Uh, I'm kind of curious what your background is as far as religion goes and if or how that has changed or your, how your perspectives on that have changed as you've also progressed through, through libertarianism in these last few years. I'm man, I'm such a spaz when it comes to uh, religion. I was raised pretty, pretty much not in the church. I mean, my family was Southern Baptist, but uh, I didn't go to church very often when I was really young. And then when we were living, I guess we moved to Mesquite and my parents decided they wanted to send us to church um, because of the atmosphere and things they saw going on. And so they would put us on a, there was a church that actually sent a bus around and picked up um, kids and brought them to church. And so I would, uh, I would, I would, I would get on that bus on, on Sundays and go to church. My parents weren't involved in religion um, at all. though. They, I mean, they always said they believed, but my grandparents were really involved. And uh, I got in some trouble in high school. I went and lived with my grandparents. I got more real, real involved in the youth group at that time when I was living with my grandparents. My, my grandparents, when I, when I lived with my grandparents, after I got expelled from school, I, I went to school in Louisiana and uh, lived with my grandparents for about a year and a half. They were, they were really involved in the church. So I got involved and I, I got involved with the youth group. When I moved back to Houston, um, I, I s- insisted on going to church there in the, in the Katy area. Um, that's where I met my first wife. Um, and so she was very involved in the church. I, then I went to the military. I, we, we had kind of, we had stopped going to church and I went to the military. Um, and then she filed for divorce. Um, and this was kind of like my first blow. It, well, not the first blow. I, 
some of this stuff I'm trying to skip over because I don't like to get too personal with some of these things. Sure. Um, cause it's real touchy subjects for me. But, um, so I told her, I said, uh, I don't think this is right. You know, like, I think you should pray about it. And she's like, I did. And God wants me to divorce you basically is what she said. So, um, that really put a ding in my armor on top of a lot of other disappointments I had had in my life, um, with, with different people in the church. So I got really kind of whatever about it. And I, I married my second wife. She insisted we go to church, but I never really cared. It was always kind of like, all right, I'm going to go. And I, I got in good with like, uh, the youth pastor and I were good friends and he wanted me help him out with the, with the high schoolers. So I'm going through Bible stories and I'm, I'm trying to show them how these Bible stories relate to average life and everyday life and trying to separate, you know, kind of the intellectual portion of the Bible away from the, the faith-based area. I felt really bad about that. And so whenever I got, whenever it was around time that, that my second wife and I were getting divorced, I just stopped going. I was like, this isn't right. I shouldn't be doing this. You know, I'm, I'm really, you know, maybe, maybe these kids are getting something out of it, but I don't, I just don't feel like I'm doing any justice to the position y'all want me to, to be in. You felt like you shouldn't be there because you, you weren't really all the way in it. You were just kind of going there yeah. to, to go there, but it, maybe to you, that was almost a, felt disrespectful in a way. Yeah. 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 I just wasn't invested in it at all. Um, this is, this is about the time that I really started looking at what is faith and, and started trying to quantify faith and, 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 trying to put together in my own perspective what it was to intellectually know something and to have actual faith and belief in something like the difference between intellectual knowledge and belief like where where is that line and how does that line work and how do i know that i'm actually believing and not just convincing myself through some you know process of manipulation <clears throat> so there, there was this, this, this whole period where I was really struggling with that. And, uh, then I went over the road. I obviously wasn't going to church. I was gone for, I'd be gone for three months at a time. I would come home. I would spend a week with my kids, spend all my money, go back over the road for three more months and save up money. So I could come home and spend a week with my kids and spend all my money. So, um, that was kind of my life at that period of time. And at that point, I kind of decided I was floating in between agnostic and atheist. I never went full-blown atheist because like the 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 really hardcore atheists seem more evangelical and more religious than the than the religious people I sure, knew. Yeah. So it was all it, it was always kind of like a big turnoff to me. Yeah, especially like the that pure atheism that says, I know for a fact that there is no this, there is no right. that. Well, that that is as big, maybe more of a leap of faith than, than believing in any one religion. Right. Right. And, and that was kind of why I fell into being agnostic. It was like, you weren't there. How do you know? Like how either, either side of the equation, I don't understand how you know that maybe these stories are a little bit more nuanced than what you think they are. And maybe there's more to it. And, um, then I started, uh, Matt, Matt Erickson turned me on to, uh, this podcast. 
God, I can't think of the name of it right now. Lord of Spirits. Yeah, yeah. You turned me on to that. I was enjoying it. I was like, wow, this is a different side of religion. This is this is a way of, of interpreting the Bible stories that I haven't heard before. So I, I, I enjoy it. I still listen to it every once in a while. I don't listen to it like real hardcore. So I, so I started reading Orthodox stuff and I still do. I, I have a bunch of Orthodox, you know, some, you know, um, stuff around that I enjoy reading, um, re- listening to Jordan Peterson's, you know, talks on, on religion, uh, reading uh, Mercia Eliad on, on religion and just kind of getting into like the history behind all this stuff and, and the way that the thought process and the faith actually interacts. I'd say I'd, I, I, I know a lot about religion because I've spent a lot of time trying to answer my own questions. And so if somebody wants to talk about it, I actually can talk about it. I think that it, the, the spiritual world plays really intricately into our current situation and our current world. And I can see these patterns layered upon on top of society as we see it. I mean, a lot like what we talked about um, in the, in the podcast I had you on. So I can see these, these patterns. I think my, my main issue is, is that I am so hell bent on doing something myself and, 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 and working hard that I try not to let myself fall into the faith-based category. And that's probably something I need to work on. And it has nothing to do with any religion at all. Um, despite disappointments and trying to learn how to separate the individuals that represent religion from the religion itself. So there, there's a lot that I think about whenever I think about religion and the way that I kind of digest the entire subject. The way I think about and process religion, it's very, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a lot more complex to me than just because I've spent a lot of time thinking about how do you separate the people that, that have disappointed or betrayed you that represent a religion as opposed to the religion itself. You know, there's got to be, there's an aspect of humanity that religion warns you about. And you can't hold the religion um, responsible for the human actions. But at the same time, it's the representatives of religions I get really turned off by. And um, but at the same time, so I don't I don't think I fall into a nice, neat category when it comes to the subject of religion at all. No, I, I think we're actually very similar on, on this regard. I, I think I've I've always been kind of one of those agnostic, not atheist people, but or at least I, I said that. But I probably did for most of the time I said that in my life, I was probably much more in the atheist ish camp of things, but just mm-hmm. leaving that sort of door open. But I've always, like you, I've always been fascinated by religions and I've, I've like studied them and, and learned about them. And I, I think I have a, a decent amount of knowledge of religions, but for, I think for a long time, it was more of the fascination of them. And then that dovetailed into kind of what you're talking about, like the, the Jordan Peterson type analysis, where I started to at least appreciate them for seeing, you know, seeing, okay, there are actually life lessons here. These aren't just you know, nonsense stories about nothing. Uh, but then mm. I think, and this is a trend I've seen with a lot of people, especially sort of in our circles, 
in the last couple of years, it seems like a lot of people have been pushed more towards religion and you know, as you know, like a number of people we know have gotten, have become, or at least on the path into uh, orthodoxy or orthodox Christianity. And I'm most fascinated by it mostly because, not because it's necessarily resonated with me more personally, but I, I found it interesting that a lot of the people that I'm resonating with politically or in other areas also happen to be going down that similar path. But I think mm. what I find, the, the commonality that I find but between people that are on that path or that are just becoming more interested in, in religious ideas right now is the way that religions, or if we just even <clears throat> stick to Christianity, describes the world, um, it, it seems to apply, or at least, at least it applies a lot more apparently in the context of the last two years than mm. it ever seemed to in my life before. Um, and, and maybe it's one of those chicken egg things. Maybe once you're more open to things, you, you see things more or, or whatever it may be. But it's really hard to not look at what's gone down in the last couple of years with the COVID regime, the compliance, uh, the fanatical enforcers of compliance, and see that there's a spiritual a spiritual element of this or a spiritual problem, if you will. And whether or not that's just science re-explained with spirituality, okay. But clearly what people were talking about thousands of years ago through these various different stories or whatever their interpretations might be, they were describing what I'm seeing right now either way. Yeah, I think also um, when it comes to the Orthodox Christianity, um, it it's it's a little more intellectual. So it lends itself to the kind of the libertarian mind, mm-hmm. somebody that wants to dig in t- deep into, sh- into something, into the subjects and, and kind of, you know, like if, if you read like Sarah from Rose or something like that, I mean, like that guy was a brilliant writer. Like some of the stuff he wrote about was, was really good. And I really enjoy reading his stuff. And so I think it, it just, there's just this kind of mindset that lends itself to libertarian ideas that is more about the way that things work and, and operate. And you, you really want to get in in deep and, and, and look at it. And I think orthodoxy has more of that available than any other religion, as far as I've found. Yeah. And it, it seems to just be, I, I guess you could describe it almost as like, I'm not choosing a side here, but the the way they would describe it is is they they see it more as like the the pure Christianity, um, almost like the Rothbardian. If you were going to make a comparison here, like yeah. you know, you the Rothbardian sort of here's the pure, here's the real thing, and and I can see why people that were at one point attracted to that Rothbardian, like here's the hardcore, here's what it really should be, here's where really, what it really is at its essence, would also be attracted to the the element of Christianity that that at least kind of puts itself in, in the same sort of, this is the pure version kind of way. Yeah. And I'm really into prose and the way that things are written. Cause I, I grew up reading fiction. That, that's really my background is reading fiction, uh, classic novels and um, horror and stuff like that. So the prose really make a difference to me. And it's just, like I said, the prose coming out of the Orthodox tradition, really good. And it's just some of the best writing I've ever read. <laughs> Hey guys, got to take a quick break from this very awesome conversation with Tommy Sammons to tell you about a fantastic new sponsor of ours. That is the Reason and Power Summer Seminar. Now, this is an event 
Not for me. It's not for me because this is for young people. This is for youth age 16 to 24. I am, let's just say, older than that. But my gosh, do I wish somebody had kicked me in the butt and sent me to something like this when I was that age. This is a fantastic seminar bringing young people from all around the U.S. and beyond for deep discussions on foundational philosophical texts. They utilize the powerful Socratic method where students learn through dialogue, not just from lectures. By the end of this event, students are going to discover just amazing connections between the ideas that they read and discuss and the contemporary world that they inhabit. The bridge that I have been trying to help people cross for much of this podcast, how to take this theoretical and apply it to the real world where that's exactly what you're going to learn to do. Well, maybe not you, but maybe a young person around you or a young person that you know. Uh, Although I do know we have a good number of young people listening to the show. So if you are between the ages of 16 to 24 or you have a loved one who is, you gotta send them or send yourself to the Reason and Power Summer Seminar. Register by June 15th. You gotta do this soon, friends, to take advantage of the early bird discount. For more information, visit thegreatconnections.org slash seminars. Again, that is the Reason and Power Summer. Head over to thegreatconnections.org slash seminars. As your overall interest in in religion overall and, and your, your curiosity about it, has that has that helped you filter what you've seen in, in your own world or in the, what's been unfolding in the world around us over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I think, I think the person who does a really good job on this is Jonathan Pajot when he's, mm-hmm. he's describing the way these patterns lay upon each other and, and why you're able to see specific patterns out of the Bible occurring in real life in front of you, because it's speaking to like this archetypical, like kind of idea and not, you know, um, not necessarily a literal idea or a literal story that the stories overlap because the stories are, are a meta narrative that you can pretty much paint over in, in the entirety of human society. We'll let that sit there. We'll let that stew there for a bit. And I, I kind of want to dovetail into just looking at your your political view over the last couple of years, obviously you've come on as, as a big part of the Libertarian Institute. I, I know like libertarianism is, is both of our sort of like guiding political ethics that, that underlie mm-hmm. everything. But I'm, I'm curious how you've seen, I guess the various paths of, of libertarians and their, the responses that, because I think we've seen like a real divide in the libertarian community. And I don't think it's a, a war that's raging or anything like that. I think it's more of just, it's a, it's a, how did you interpret the events of the last two years? If you interpret it as a a normal, uh, just another iteration of the normal political sort of things that happen that we have to deal with, then in that case, it totally makes sense to say, well, the COVID narrative is kind of wound down now. So, all right, let's just head back into our old patterns. Um, And then there's another kind of person that has seen the last two years as a complete context change of what the world around us is and how we, how we can look at the world politically. Uh, So where, where do you kind of lie within that? If, if, If you, if you even agree with my setup. Yeah, no, I do. I, I, I think, I think that what you and I see, because we're about the same age, you're, you're what, 41, I'm 42. Yeah. We, we grew up in the same era. With my recent shave, I probably look like I might be younger, but we're, we're the same age. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always say that we're kind of like the last of the latchkey kids, yeah. you know, yeah. 
And uh, I think that kind of the way that we were raised has a lot to do with way, the way that we see the world. There's a lot of, it seems like a lot of the libertarians that are, are fighting um, with, against like our point of view were, don't really, they, they're, they don't remember before 9-11, right? And so we had a lot more freedom growing up. And I think that's in the, in, in our generation, I think that is something that is the reason you don't see a lot of people our age involved in politics on any level. It's very, you know, it's either boomers or it's like millennials, like the Gen Xers just don't care. We're just like, yeah, whatever, you know, we'll do our own thing. We'll figure it out. And I think that has a lot to do with the way that we were raised in the, in the way that we went on about our lives. And so I think what, what the way that you and I reacted to, or, or Pete or Buck, uh, whatever to the tyranny that we saw because we it was it was unlike anything else we had ever seen in our lives and whereas a younger person like my kids in their 20s they don't they didn't look at it as a big deal they were just like yeah it's just another iteration of politics and the way that things go and it's just these same people that have always been in control of our lives just telling us what's good for us you know, they don't know the world without a Department of Homeland Security, you know, kind of deal. And so I think it's it, I think a lot of it is about the 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 way we frame it and, and the way that we that we view it. And I try to I try to take this into consideration when I'm talking to people. There are some people that just irritate me and I just, you know, cuss them out and I'm just like, whatever, I'm fine with that. But I, I do try to look at it and say, OK, like this guy is 25 years old right? He's really smart. He knows the, the literature, but as far as world experience, life experience, he doesn't have much. He, did, he didn't experience the, the world prior to there being, you know, uh, a DHS and there being this kind of NSA overbearing, you know, invasive state. It's always been in his life as long as he can remember at least. And so, you and I, we're, we're responding like, wait, I remember the nineties, <laughs> you know, and he's responding like, I don't remember anything prior to 2003. Yeah. And, and so that, that paints your worldview in different ways because you have these different experiences you're pulling from. It's like, whenever I talk politics with my dad, I don't necessarily see everything, his point of view, because he remembers the sixties and seventies. And I don't, I don't have any there's no way to shape my, I can read about it. You know, I can watch that 70s show, but you know, it's like kind of, it's not going to change the way I view the world politically and where he'll, he remembers, you know, the really turbulent times of like in, in the sixties that I don't necessarily remember. And, uh, and so I, I think that's a lot of it. I think that's a lot of what we're dealing with. It's, it's, it's a generational divide. And a lot of it is due to the intervention of the government within our lives. And you and I are like, uh, no, you know what? Politics ain't going to fix this. That's not the way we were raised. That's, not ever, that's never how we dealt with things. We're going to go out. I'm going to plant a garden. I'm going to fish. I'm going to raise chickens. I'm going to do my thing. 
and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to be all right. And the, the youth people in their twenties, it's always been about politics. You have to be involved politically in order to make any difference in the world because it's always been politics in, in, involved in their lives. It's always been in, intervening in their, in their decisions and in their lives. And with us, we're just like, no, we'll just push it out of the way and move. Like, we just got to go. We got to do, we got to act. And it's up to us to do that. And so I think it's, um, I think a lot of it has to do with the, the generational divide and how we frame things and look at things. That's a really interesting framework to, uh, to think about it in that I haven't really thought about it in those terms before. I mean, especially just thinking about, and I was a latchkey kid too. I, you know, I, I came home from school, I got myself in the house. I made my dinner. I I was basically on my own for, you know, four or five hours. So my parents were able to get home from work. And I, I wonder if there is just if that I mean, I don't think that's even a thing anymore. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. But I, I know that, you know, there's been a lot more of this sort of protection overprotection of children that has been more of a trend in the last couple of decades maybe helicopter parenting helicopter parenting and, and maybe maybe that is in some way a, a psychological response to 911 you know maybe like danger in the world feel, feels more real in some way so people need to be more more protective of their children i mean there's probably smarter pe- the people than me that could psychoanalyze all this but i do wonder mm-hmm. if there's something to the the idea of yeah sure maybe i wasn't the one buying the food or earning the money for the food, but even just the act of coming home, making my own dinner, being responsible for myself, walking the dog, uh, little stuff like that, that, you know, if kids today are, are, are raised with, no, you come home and we hand you your dinner and here's what you do. And maybe that, that little, little tiny few hours per day that adds up over years of freedom, really of more freedom or greater responsibility, I guess I should say, mm-hmm. has people like us a little more prime to just take the responsibility because we've always known that's what you have to do. Grab the bull by the horns, you know, you just you do what you got to do. You, you don't have to worry. You don't worry about it. You know, and that's why I say like my upbringing and being raised poor and, you know, my parents working so much that has a like major influence on my worldview and the way I go about my life. Yeah. And I also wonder too, like with, with nine 11, I mean, we lived in the nineties. Uh, like, see, I was, I was 21 when nine 11 happened. So I hadn't, didn't have exactly a ton of, of life experience, but I'd flown a bunch and, um, I, I saw that life literally changed. Like I used to enjoy flying and going on planes. And then suddenly it was the most traumatic thing I could do would be to book a flight and deal with TSA and deal with that security. And, and I, I hate, a I little bit hate myself for the fact that I, they, they bullied me into uh, getting P- TSA pre-check, pre-check so I could just go back to not stressing so much about it. Mm-hmm. But it's even with that, it's not really the same. It, it feels like mm-hmm. a, a completely different experience than flying was before. So perhaps people like us that have lived on both sides of that, have seen how permanent a change, something huge, something psychologically traumatic across a society can be and how it can permanently change the world we're in. And maybe that's why we see that, yes, no, we're in a different world than we were in 2019. Right. And therefore we need to act like we're in a different world, at least in some way, at least, at least when it comes maybe more so to, to our view of politics, you know, to politics not, can't be the salvation because it, you know, whatever caused your problem isn't going to be the thing to fix it. I mean, that's for sure. So if politics cause your problems, then politics is probably not what's going to solve them either. Right. Yeah. No, but there is, there is an aspect that we have to be aware of, of 
an older generation always looking down at a younger generation and going, if only y'all knew, right? And, and, you know, with technology, the way, the, the rate at which things are changing nowadays, that maybe they do know, (laughs) maybe, maybe we're wrong, right? Maybe, maybe the old way of doing things, maybe it is outdated and, and maybe we're just clinging on to an aspect of life that no longer exists or won't exist after we're gone. And, um, so, so, I mean, there's, there's some humility that you have to view the world through. Um, but I think when I look at, when I look at like the people that reacted the way that you and I did, or that Pete did to the lockdowns to COVID, I look at it and they're all around our age. Mm -hmm. They're all kind of that generation of like, wait a second. No, no, sir, buddy. You know, (laughs) my parents used to kick me out of the house at sunrise and told me to come home when the sun set. Like, nah, you know, (laughs) yeah, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna have to fight this battle on our own. We grew up playing manhunt in the woods. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Manhunt was my favorite thing in the world to do, (laughs) but you know, it's just, I think there is some of that generational divide that, that, that we're viewing everything through. And I think you, I think you kind of got put through the wood chipper due to that. And, uh, here, here over the last week. And, um, if that was the wood chipper, then bring it on. Cause that was nothing. Well, I, that might be the best they got, man. These <laughs> kids nowadays, she's pussies. <laughs> I, I listened to your interview today with Tyler. Oh yeah. The, on the libertarian podcast review. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I, I I appreciated it. I like Tyler. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's he's fair minded. And um, you got to really be able to detect a dry humor to get his humor. A lot of people yeah. were like, "What is he? What? Why is he?" I'm like, "Oh, you're just not getting it." You know. But then once you once it clicks, you realize, "Oh, okay, he, I, 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 I get this stick now." <laughs> but I grew up, you know, I grew up with Jews, so I I know dry humor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I grew up with coon asses. I just know that if you're, if they're not picking on you, they don't like you. That's all I know. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So no, I thought, I thought you did a, a, a fairly good job of, of, of explaining your point of view on his, on his, on his podcast. And, uh, I do think that one of the things that people are missing is that you're, and I, I, I mean, I think I expressed this with the tweet that I, I sent out the other day. But one of the things that are missing is people are missing the point that you are saying don't utilize time that could better be spent improving your lot in life. Don't don't use that time doing something else like you don't know when there's not going to be food, when there's not going to be electricity, when when things are really going to be bad. Like, are you prepared for that? And I think people are missing that, that aspect. Right. Right. Because I saw how many weren't prepared for what happened with COVID. I wasn't as nearly as prepared as I could have or should have been. Even in my mind, I knew, but even before any of this stuff, I knew I should have more mobile income than I do. I should have more skills. Um, You know, I was, I had some and was working on it at least more than zero um, and was saving money pretty proficiently for my entire working life. So luckily I could weather the storm somewhat, but I, mm. you know, I, I, I say this probably too much. Uh, Tyler probably heard me say it too many times, but I'm always talking to, I say it cause I love the song. Okay. I'm always talking to the man in the mirror. Uh, and I am really talking to like younger versions of myself. Um, but I, 
and I know that I can't I can't literally go change the actual younger version of myself, but I can talk to other young other current younger versions of myself, many of whom mm. I do see in the you know in the Mises caucus or just liberty activists in general. And if 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 I have to take some flack online to kick a few people in the butt that it does affect, then I'm totally more than fine with that. Um, yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, the, the rewards that, that I get from private messages of people that have really been encouraged by things I've said um, as, as you know, means a lot more than, than mean tweets or, or whatever. But anyway, this, this isn't about me, but I'll, I'll let you go uh, um, further on that direction. If you, if you like just um, on, on how I think that, having life experience and this is something i've come to respect too a lot more because i mean my, my dad used to tell me stuff when i was a teenager i was like all right whatever dude and now i look mm-hmm. back i mean dude my dad's a literal boomer i mean he was born in 43 like he's been through he's seen this all and now i realize how damn wise he is and he's not wise because he's a genius or because he read the right books or read human action or any of the stuff he's just wise because he's been around a long time and he's seen some shit you know and so i'm not as wise as him at all but i'd like to think maybe wise isn't the word but i i've seen some shit in the last couple of decades that maybe some of the people i'm talking to haven't seen and i I think that probably goes for all of us like i guess old cranky old heads right now right yeah and i think that but again i think that like leans itself to why we reacted the way we did I was real up in arms, I, like real quick. Like I saw it and I was like, nah, th- th- we're not doing this. Th- this isn't going to work for me. We're going to have to, we're going to have to figure out another way. And, you know, um, I was, I was kind of like in parallel with Pete. Um, cause you know, he and I have been friends for about four or five years now. And, uh, I was kind of running parallel with him and we both kind of stumbled into a- agorism at the same time and started looking at that. I started doing things. I was already doing some stuff that was more agoristic than I, and I just didn't realize that's what it was that I was doing. And so I, uh, the the entire, I mean, I had planned on doing like when I changed my podcast name from stranger encounters to year zero, I had like this entire idea of a direction I was going to go in and it was going to be, a lot of talk on like the CIA and their, the past horrors of the CIA and crimes. And, and that just went out the window, like ASAP. It was, there was nothing we, there was nothing more important at that time than saying, Hey, look, they're rolling out all this stuff all at the same time under the banner of lockdowns and COVID and safety and security. And we got to start talking about this stuff because if we don't talk about this, we're it's going to catch us all by surprise. So, you know, I kind of turned my full attention, got put, whereas Pete was railing against lockdowns. I turned and I was like railing against ESG scores. You know, like that was my thing. And for the last year and a half, that's pretty much almost every podcast I've done, it, that subject has come up somewhere in some way. Because I just, I see it as such a threat. And so we started identifying threats and starting, started like putting targets on these threats so that other people would know. And they're like, why are you abandoning us? Why are you being a traitor? Why aren't you with the LP? And you're like, wait a second, man. Do you not see what I'm pointing at over here? Like, this is huge. 
The LP's not talking about this. The LP didn't give a damn about lockdowns. They didn't care about vax mandates. They didn't care about mask mandates. Like, we're telling you, like... But that's why LP we got to change it, Tommy. That's why we got to take it over. <laughs> All right, well, y'all go do that. I'm doing this. <laughs> um, since you brought it up, I don't think I've really gotten into it too much on the show. So why don't you get into the ESG thing a little bit? Uh, I'm sure most people have, have at least kind of heard of it by now, but maybe you know the exactly what it is isn't isn't fully encompassed because I think it is something that does need to be talked about a lot a lot more. So why don't we why don't we start here? Okay, let me see. I, I've, I've gotten this down to a boilerplate issue, man. I can talk about this in very simple terms now. It's taken me a while to do it, though. All right, so it stands for E, stands for environmental, S stands for social, G stands for governance, and it's talking specifically about corporate governance, right? So in March of 2021, the SEC created a task force called the ESG task force. Now, ESG is not new. It's been going on long before that. It's been something that's a rumbling in the background. But when the SEC started pushing it and getting involved on a governmental level, then I was like, okay, this is a big deal. So basically what they're doing is they're scoring like a social credit score, investors, businesses, and, and uh, probably soon consumers based upon how environmentally friendly your investment is, how, how, social, how much into social justice the company you invested in is how the corporate governance structure is. So how many, I don't know, how many trans people are on the board of directors, how many black people are on the board of directors, how it's many like a woke white credit people. score, basically. Basically, in, in, in a way, yes. Now, what they're doing with it is, this was kind of the hard part for me to figure out, like, how is this working? Because I knew they were utilizing it, and I could see that it was popping up on the dashboards of, like, 401ks. You would you would see four hundred one people with four hundred one k's were getting an ESG score, and it's like, well, it's not gonna, it's not going to affect the average person. Then why is it on my four hundred one k? If it's not going to affect me, then why do I have a score? Well, it's because you're an investor, right? And so all investors are affected. You're not an average person. They consider the average person someone that doesn't invest. So if you're investing. You're going to be affected by this. I like how they tell everybody, here's what you got to do. You got to get a job uh, and, and then invest all your money with your companies like 401k. But, the, but that doesn't, that makes you an above average person. It's just, it's, right. it's funny right. how they categorize things. Right. And so, so what they're doing is, is like, let's say you have investments in like Smith and Wesson, or let's say um, you're buying ammunition. From Smith and Wesson. Now, if they're if they're tracking, we already know that they're tracking bank accounts. We saw in Canada they froze bank accounts. We saw, you know, after January sixth, they were tracking people's purchases to find out who was in DC. So we know they have this this material. So what's going to stop them from moving this down? Because what they're doing is they are cutting off the opportunities and abilities to get loans to. Uh, to uh, to fly, to do all these things, and to have access to further capital based upon this score. So the higher your score, the worse off you are. <clears throat> or maybe it's opposite. Maybe it's lower your score. I can't remember exactly how they're if they're subtracting or adding, but that's beside the point. So if you read um, 
if you read the fourth industrial revolution by klaus schwab shaping the future of the fourth industrial revolution sorry i knew i was missing part of it um he talks about he talks about it in the terms that investors have the carrot to make companies act so if an investor won't invest in your company because you're not woke enough mm. to stay with that terminology, then you're going to change your your attitudes. You're going to change your behaviors to become more woke so that more investors will invest. And if the investor is investing in companies that aren't woke enough, then the they're going to be um, looked over by the financial institutions and they're not going to be available for loans and all these different programs. So it's this entire, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a peer pressure kind of system. When you, when you have these credit scores, they're utilizing, they're trying to figure out how do you get the average person to move, right? And it, the, the way you get the average person to move is you make their food dependent on whether or not they move, mm -hmm. right? So if you want the average person to go woke, then you have to get the corporate structure to go woke. If you want the corporate structure to go woke, you have to get the investors to go woke. If you want the investors to go woke, you have to get the financial institutions to go woke. Once you get the, how do you get the financial institutions to go woke? You get the SEC to go woke. Once the SEC creates a task force, judge like ranking the financial institutions, the financial institutions are going to take that same system and they're going to look at the SEC's rankings on investors, and they're only going to do business with investors that make them look good in the view of the federal government. So it's a it's a top down approach, but they make it look like they they make it look like it's individual companies making choices on their own. All right, gang. Well, you know what a great choice that you should make on your own, but I'm going to give you a little push anyway is that is to try some of the fantastic CBD products from our friends Carlos and Vanessa Abelar over at PalomaVerdeCBD.com. These guys have, I'm not just saying this because they're sponsors. This is actually true. They do have the best CBD products I have ever used. I tried a, a various uh, number of CBD products for aches and pains, for insomnia, uh, when I was in Los Angeles at, at a few different stores. And then when we connected with Carlos and Vanessa, they were kind enough to send me some samples and this salve they have. My God, I have had this like pain in my, my shoulder, my neck for years and years. This is one of the few things that has ever truly calmed that down. By the way, they have some amazing gummies. And I'm just going to tell you that my only criticism, I'm whispering, I don't want Carlos to hear me because I do have a criticism. They're so delicious. You just want to eat them all in one batch. So you might want to order two, uh, two things of the gummies. But what's great about this is that because they are sponsors, because they support us, we support them, we support you. You're going to get a 20% discount off any order as well as free shipping for any order over $75 by using discount code ROAR at checkout. So head over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and use discount code ROAR for 20% off that order. Is this something that could kind of trickle down to the point of, you know, like if, if, if I have a 401k or maybe it's self-directed and I, 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 my, maybe my investments are like, I don't know, Smith and Wesson and the, my pillow guy or, just, or something like that, you know, stuff that, that, that would not be approved of, I guess, in, a, in as, as favorable a way um, as perhaps some other companies might could, 
I like, could I individually just be like barred as an investor or could I like lose my 401k? Like what, what kind of actual real, real world world effects could, could this have on like an average person like myself who just has like some normal investments? It would make it to where, let's say you couldn't get a home loan or an insurance or your, or, or home insurance or car insurance or banking. You know, I mean, we've seen Trump's had bank accounts canceled. He can't do he can't bank with certain accounts. He, uh, Alex Jones got canceled from like swipe and visa and all these companies. Like, I mean, we saw in Canada, they froze bank accounts like, like that overnight. They, these people couldn't access and that's their, without a formalized ESG type system. Exactly. Exactly. But it's basically the exact, it, it's basically the exact same thing. They basically utilized the exact same system. When you heard, um, when when McDonald's pulled out of Russia, I don't know if you remember like this whole like corporate attack on Russia, mm-hmm. right? McDonald's originally refused to pull out. They're like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to get involved in this. We sell hamburgers. Yeah. Like, what the hell right. do y'all want from us? And then two days later, they pulled out and they made this statement. They said, we are pulling out of Russia because it is a reputational risk to continue to do business. Mm. What? I mean, that they're basically saying, we're getting ranked reputationally by our peers and we're going to, it's going to hurt us financially if we don't pull out of Russia. So all the, all of this stuff was, was run at a, a higher level and it was all the pressures coming down from the government. And this is where you could really see the convergence of everything here. Cause you have, the financial sector and the corporate sector being pushed into wokeness, um, some more voluntarily than others, but that is the direction that it's all shifting. Whereas mm. on the other end, you also have the, I, I will just keep using woke because it's all kind of identifying the same thing. The global governance, the, the biomedical tyranny. I mean, it's, it's all kind of all wrapped up into the same push of, of destroying humanity, ultimately uh, destroying the good parts of humanity. But you have, you know, the, the compliance side on the other end of that, you have the mandates, mm-hmm. the, the threats to, to lose your jobs if you don't do X, Y, and Z or take, take these shots. And it seems like the, the pressure is just coming in on both sides. And I think this is this, this kind of thing just continues to go to what we're talking about here. And, and I think what a lot of us are, are trying to point out, like, no, look, this is not the same world. Like, look at what's happening. Look at these walls that are closing in. Um, you need to find your own tunnels out because just repeating the same patterns that we've repeated for the last 20 years and choosing the same paths, it, it's simply not going to work against an entirely different system that's closing in around us. Yeah. It, well, and you bring up the, the, the bio, biotech and all that all right so under the s social justice there's a tab if you i think it's merrill lynch that that released a chart that shows you every bullet point under environmental social justice and corporate governance and you can kind of go through it and i think there's i don't know 15 under each but one of the tabs under social justice was health and health and wellness right so they when, Which means, when everybody did you take was, your shots. I mean, that's right. What. When when everybody was sitting there saying, "Oh, we got we got to look out for a medical passport," I was like, "You got to look at ESG because that's where it's coming from. Mm. This is where they're going to govern it out of. They're going to govern uh, these systems, and they're going to force your your company is going to be forced into forcing you to get a vaccination because 
they won't have any investors investing in their company. And I just got, I just recently got a medical. Now, this is how insane it's got. I just recently got my medical card for uh, truck driving renewed. And we have to do this every two years. So I just got it done um, last month in, in April. I went in there and the doctor asked me, she goes, do you have a hernia down there? I was like, not that I'm aware of, no, ma'am. And she goes, okay, I'm not going to check because I'm not allowed to ask you if you're a boy or a girl anymore. <laughs> like, what could go wrong? You know, wow. I can't check you for prostate cancer because wow. I'm not allowed to ask you if you're a boy or a girl. Wow. You know? That is wild. Yeah, I mean, I just looked at her. And I said, what the fuck? And she just laughed. She goes, I know. I, she's old. She was an older lady. She was like, I don't know. It's crazy. I was like, oh, it's... <laughs> And so it's absurd. I mean, these things are, these things are absurd the way that it's, it's going on, you know? And so when people will look at us and they'll be like, well, you're over-exaggerating. I'm like, no, I, I just, this just happened to me last month. Like, <laughs> They're not checking for hernias. <laughs> like what the hell? I think what gets lost here, because a lot of us might joke, I mean, of course, you got to joke about some of this stuff to, to get by, to maintain your sanity, but... Sometimes you have to laugh, yeah, I mean, how, how, otherwise you cry. Right, I mean, how, it's one or the other, maybe both, but it's not a joke. I mean, it's absurd to the point that it feels like a joke, but that's kind of the point. And like any, of any like tyrannical compliance system... Anybody can get people to comply to reasonable things. Like that's actually not that hard. If the government says do these reasons, if the government says, "Hey, you got to drink water every day, and you're going to have to breathe," we're going to we're going to enforce this. And then everyone's like, "Well, uh, that's kind of silly. You're making a law, but yeah, I'm going to already drink water and breathe every day. So, I whatever. We're not going to protest this law that says we have to drink and eat water, but because because we're already going to do this stuff, and this are this seems like a reasonable rule. Uh, but but when the rules get absurd and and so patently absurd on their face. And then people comply. Like that's a compliance system. That's really when you've got them, and that that's kind of how you prove the compliance. And that's why that's also why the COVID narrative made no sense. You can believe two things there. You can believe it made no sense because a bunch of people were just fumbling about, you know, reacting the best way they could, trying to trying to fix this thing, and just made so many mistakes along the way. Mistakes that you and I and any normal person could actually see coming a mile away. You could believe that. Or you have to believe that the absurdity and the lack of sense making along the way is part of it. And that makes to me a lot more sense because we are talking about a compliance system at the end of the day, whether it's ESG scores, whether it's vaccine mandates, it is all about compliance. And you know, you've really got people when you're getting them to walk around in circles, you know, when you're getting them to, to just go get the cheese or whatever it may be, when you're getting them to just do the silly thing that makes no sense, but they do it that's the compliance system. Right. And some people will say that part of, part of what we're railing about nowadays is a moral panic. So, um, I just had this conversation with Patrick McFarlane. I'll be releasing it for the public probably today, tonight, after I get done working outside, uh, cause I got all kinds of crap to do outside. But, um, he, he, he said, you don't think, you don't think like this whole, uh, grooming and, uh, the stuff at the schools is a moral panic. I said, here's the way I look at it. Let's just say it is a moral panic. Let's just say it's, it's a nothing burger and nothing's ever going to come of it. How long have we been preaching John Taylor Gatto and the Prussian school system and, and how right. this system was set up in order to subjugate 
the citizenry in order to create just cogs on a wheel, right? And it acts as a conveyor belt, just spitting out good little citizens. And we've railed against it and said, look, man, you got to get your kids out of these schools. They're not learning to, to be productive citizens. They're not learning to start businesses. They're not learning to think for themselves. They're learning to be little slaves, you know, little serfs that just act in, in conjunction with the machine that is, is running everything. Like, how long have we been saying that? And he's like, yeah, we've been saying that for quite a while. I'm like, yeah, for the first time in my life, I'm hearing conservatives scream, get your kids out of public school. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. stop them. Let's take that win, right? <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, whatever. I'm on their side on this. Like they're right, you know. And so I'm just going to even even if if somebody could prove to me like this is a big nothing burger and nothing's happening and it was just a couple of random teachers, which I don't think is the case. It looks pretty widespread, uh, especially after this Aaron Lee story. Um, this I don't know if you've heard of this lady, Aaron Lee out of Colorado, Fort, Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, you should really look into that. It's really interesting. She, uh, her 12-year-old daughter came home, got invited to a secret art class, and it was a, it was a gender meeting Wow! that she was, she was told not to tell her mom about. And her <laughs> mom's been, she's been going, jumping through hoops, trying to create as much hell for the school district as she possibly can. And this is in a conservative school district in Fort Collins, Colorado, which is a conservative area. So um, it, it seems like it's pretty widespread. There's a lot of teachers being arrested for sexual mix, misconduct with students. Um, there's a lot going on. And so if, unfortunately, it came to this point before conservatives woke up, but they're waking up to the fact. I mean, you look, uh, if you if you go turn on, on like the Blaze TV, which is Glenn Beck's program, and watch uh, the news and why it matters, I see Eric July on there every week. And every week, Eric July gets to lay out the anarcho-capitalist vision to conservatives. And conservatives are nodding in agreement. Yeah. Like, whatever, man. Now, that's influence. Right there. These people, they're coming around like they're starting to see the libertarian view. And so this is what we're fighting. We're fighting a propaganda war here. The, the state is a trillion dollar a year propaganda machine. And that's what we're fighting. So all these little bickerings between podcasters, it just pisses me off. I'm just like, you're a bunch of idiots, man. You're wasting your fucking time. You're, you're, yeah, if I defeat Matt Erickson, I have accomplished absolutely nothing, man. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Go beat Brian Stelter. How about that? I mean, th that is kind of like... And maybe I'm I'm guilty because I I get involved in some of these things, too. But you're, you think you're going to take on the deep state and, like, take down this entrenched system that has manipulated every aspect of our lives, the media, journal journalism, government, at every level you can possibly imagine, down to your local school board, and you're worried about what some podcasters said. <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah, no, I, and I'm guilty. I'm really guilty of it, too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not letting myself off yeah, the I mean, hook. Yeah, we're all, we're all guilty to some extent, I think. Yeah, I get really frustrated whenever somebody insults a friend of mine. I get, I get really mad. 
<laughs> and I will fight people. <laughs> it's like, oh no, no, no. You're not gonna talk about that guy. <laughs> so so yeah, I I'm I'm just as bad. But but it is something that I really try to focus on and like, look, man, if you want to argue with me, fine. I, I'm just I'm not in the I'm not interested because ultimately if you win the conversation, it doesn't move the needle. If I win the conversation, the, the conversation, it doesn't move the needle. What moves the needle? Yeah. We have to convince people that we're right. And how do we do that? And it's not by bickering amongst ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing I've, I've learned to think even more so is that you can only tell people what's right so much, you know, and we have to just do what's right and mm-hmm. do the things that we're talking about. And I, I am, I don't know. No, I'm not guilty of this. Fuck that. I, I do do. I do. I do live by what I say. Um, and I, I didn't roll up my sleeve just to keep my job. Uh, you know, and, and I want more people to be in a position to be able to say that and to have not just the the financial solvency or the skill set, but like the inner strength, because mm-hmm. that's what it is. That's what people are going to need, whether they get it from religion or something else in life. That's not for me to say, but it's definitely something that we all need to have because it takes inner strength to stand up against an entire system that's telling you to do something and that you must do it or we're going to starve you that takes inner strength even if you know you have the bank account even if you know you have the skill set even if you know you can pick up and roll with it um it's hard to face down something so much larger than you that feels so much bigger than you and i think that's why i disappointingly saw so many libertarians just very easily complying with all sorts of mandates and just kind of tucking their tail and saying well it's what i had to do and i say that i say it sympathetically because i i just don't want them to have to be in that position so if 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 i can bicker on the internet and wake a few people up along the way great but the the point the real point is like i'm not going to save you and and tommy's not going to save you nobody else is like everyone's going to have to really be their own latchkey kid and, and start making supper for themselves to, to, to bring it back home. Right. Yeah. It, well, and, and on, on your point there, my mom lost a six figure a year job because she wouldn't get the vaccine. Um, she, my dad got really sick and he was sick for over a month and she nursed him and she never once tested positive for COVID and she refused. Oh. She was like, I'm not going to do this. And I know several people that lost their jobs because they wouldn't get the vaccine. And then I know several people that got the vaccine and ended up hospitalized or dead. So it's, it was like, there were, there was people, people were saying, look, I know people that died or got hospitalized with blood clots from getting the vaccine. I'm not going to do it. And they lost a significant amount of income. And, you know, they've, I mean, my mom hasn't fully recovered, but she's she's working again and she's making good money not as good as it was but it's still pretty decent and you know but she never had to to give up on her convictions or on her principles and so you know i think that's very important and there are people that are out there fighting the fight and uh i i'm with you man like i i was worried for people that took the vaccine because they felt like they had to I I literally was was in fear for them because I knew people that had gotten very sick. I knew people that had died and I was like, man, this is 
I don't know. I don't know, man. Well, Tommy, I think that's a good way to wrap things up. Um, well, maybe, maybe talking about people dying from vaccines isn't, isn't the best way to wrap things up, but it's where we're going to wrap things up anyway. Uh, but uh, I really appreciate your time, Tommy. Uh, before I let you go, why don't you just let everybody know all the ways they can find everything you're doing, um, mostly year zero at the Libertarian Institute. But if there's anything else you want to plug, I know you got some writing and stuff you do. Feel free to plug away. I don't write near as much as I should. I really should write more. Join the club. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you can go tommysalmons.com is my Substack. I actually am going to be working on putting together a list of resources to just for ESG for people to look at so that y'all can look at all the stuff I've been reading and, and, and the conversations I've had on the subject, which include uh, with James Corbett and um, Michael Rechtenwald. And so you'll, you'll be able to get all that information. Um, then I don't know, libertarianinstitute.org forward slash year dash zero forward slash. That's the best place to find everything I put out. I put out right now. I'm putting out one a week just cause it's spring and I'm planting and I'm working a lot outside. Um, after Childeberg, you'll probably, I'll probably start increasing my numbers back up to two a week. So. All right, well, we look forward to it. Uh, like I said, this is no joke. This is not just hype. You got to listen to Year Zero. Tommy just has some absolutely fantastic, very real conversations. I think that that's what I, I love the most about your show. It's kind of like what we just did here today. It's just kind of like, let's see where this naturally naturally goes. And uh, I think you're, you're, you're one of the best out there at it, Tommy. Yeah, no, I appreciate you listening. I was actually like, when, the, when I first found out you listened to my show, I was like, what? Why me? <laughs> so, that's my natural reaction every time I find out somebody listens to my show. They're like, why? There, there are good shows out there. Yeah, like, are you, <laughs> There's are guys who put effort into this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ty, well, you, well, you're kicking ass either way, so appreciate it. Keep up the great work. We'll talk again soon. Keep on roaring. All right, brother. All right, friends, hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great, and I do mean great, Tommy Sammons of the Year Zero podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation today, you have got to go head over and subscribe to Year Zero. Go check out the Libertarian Institute. Tommy is just a fantastic uh, guy, and I know... Really, I said this. I said this many times, but one of the best benefits of podcasting are the people you connect with, the people that you meet, and uh, Tommy is just uh, one of those. Well, I haven't had the chance to meet him yet in person. Uh, we will certainly change that one of these days. But I uh, really do want to encourage you to check out his work. Just uh, someone who's always always able to have a great conversation and really doesn't approach anything by beating his dogma if he even has a dogma uh, over your head. So do check out the Year Zero podcast, of course. Check out all of the podcasts here on the family of podcasts under the Lions of Liberty banner. You, of course, got me Lions of Liberty with Mark Clare every single Monday. If you haven't yet, please do go check out my own feed, my Lions of Liberty with Mark Clare feed. I'll be posting some extra content there pretty soon um, as I update you guys on some happenings in my life. Uh, life has just been to say my life has been crazy would be an understatement, but it's been good. Crazy. We're getting a lot of things done, um, going through a lot of changes. And uh, right now I'm actually podcasting from a closet with my microphone a closet at an Airbnb in Mexico City with my microphone sitting in a drawer. So that's how much I love you guys. That's how much I care about you guys. Uh, and if you want to help us continue to do this again, you can hear live versions of all my interviews. You can hear Brian's Good Morning Fuckhead over at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty over on locals at lionsofliberty.locals.com. But of course, don't forget to check out, like I said, the other shows on the Lions of Liberty Network. Brian McWilliams with his brand spanking new Mean Age Daydream should be hearing a little about uh, from him about about the happenings this past weekend in Reno at the old reset. And of course, 
John Odermatt continuing to do yeoman's work on his great show, Finding Freedom. He's really taken a little bit of a turn into health and some other topics, and I, I really think it's it's the right turn for John, and I think it's a, a really a great thing to see all three of us really branching off and doing different things, whereas I think probably four or five years ago, we were probably all doing slightly different versions of the same thing, you know, talking about the ideas of liberty and libertarianism and, and filtering all that in our, our different ways, but now I think I can say we we definitely stand very much so on our own as, as three unique shows, so you can hear them all on the Lions Liberty Network, or you can subscribe individually, whatever suits you, or you can do both, whatever you like. We have options for you either way. But that's all I've got this week. Well, it's not all I've got this week. I've got another podcast this week. If you follow me anywhere and everywhere, if you're just a Mark Claire fan, you got to make sure you subscribe to the Second Print Comics podcast that I do every single Wednesday with my friend Remzo Martinez. Um, if you like comics, you're definitely going to want to listen to it. If you don't like comics, but you like me, you're also going to definitely want to listen to it. And if you don't like me, what are you doing here? I have no idea. So that's all I've got this week, my friends. Until next time. Live long! And live free. And live free. And live free. And live free. And live free.